Presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening, welcome to Spooky South Coast. We have a special show for you tonight. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz as well. And we are going to talk about a local South Coast haunt tonight. Uh, those of you who were listening to the show last week, we talked about it a little bit. But uh, here in Fairhaven, Massachusetts, where the spooky studios are located, the Millicent Library, which is uh, a very old library, it was built in the late 1800s, uh, just about the turn of the century, and it's got a lot of stories behind it, and we've talked about it in the past. I mean, for for those who are hardcore spooky South Coast fans, you know that the investigation that Matt Costa and myself did the, did there uh, in 2005 was kind of the impetus for the start of this show. So it's really just probably where we got our feet wet in terms of paranormal investigations. Matt, do you remember uh, when we went there the the first time? I do vaguely. <laughs> And, and what was your recollection of the place? Uh, what, what did you come to a conclusion about while we were there? We didn't really as, capture any as evidence. far as paranormal activity. Yeah, um, I didn't come. I didn't really think it was that paranormally active, but it's certainly quite a beautiful building, to mm. say the least. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, we of course we were there while they were open. We didn't really get to kind of dig our nails into it, so to speak, but. And nobody really has. I mean, no investigators have. We'll, we'll hear a little bit from the director of the library, Carolyn Longworth, a little bit later on. And, and I talked with her yesterday about whether or not uh, any paranormal investigators had been in there and had access after hours. So we'll play, uh, play that interview with her a little bit later on. We also have in the studio with us members of the Pawtucket Paranormal Society. And they are here because they did an investigation. Uh, was, it on, was it on the Friday? What, what, what day of the week was it? Um, it was July 6th, the Friday. Okay, so they were there the, the Friday before we were. So I guess it's probably they get upset having to do paranormal investigations on a Friday afternoon when they're just trying to get out of there and go home for the week. Oh, uh, I think so, because they only gave us three hours, so. That's a, it's an hour and a half more than we had. So, wow. But that, that was our fault. That was our fault. We're not uh, known for punctuality around here. And on a Friday afternoon, we can't blame it on the Red Sox, so like we do on Saturday nights. But uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the Fairhaven Library, and let's face it, this show's a worldwide phenomena, so there's probably plenty of people who aren't. Uh, if you go to our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, click on the blog, there is a couple of photo slideshows uh, regarding the library, some pictures that we took there yesterday, uh, and just uh, some links to the stories both about the Pawtucket Paranormal Society's investigation and the 2005 story that Matt Costa and myself did. So uh, if you check those out while uh, while we're starting off the show here, you'll be a little bit more well-versed. But we're going to give you all the history. We're going to give you the reports. We're going to give you the investigation step-by-step that the Pawtucket Paranormal Society did. And uh, we'll also take your calls, uh, any experiences you might have had at the Millicent Library. Or maybe there's a haunted library in your town. I know the 
Spinney Library in Wareham, the old library there has a, a reported history, and uh, I'm sure there's plenty of others. Is that library in New York City that the Ghostbusters went to? Oh, that God. that had some pretty good activity going on. I was really expecting, like, when we went to Millicent for the first time to see, like, the lady, shh. Oh, yeah, that would have been great. Yeah, at least it would have been something. Because uh, all all we captured was some, some dust orbs and my stomach growling. <laughs> that, was, that was the classic EVP. We, I wish we had saved that. The stomach growling. We could have we done. We recreated it. Yeah, well, wait a little bit while I ate before the show, but oh. maybe by midnight. Uh, we what we could have done is we could have saved it and used it as an example of how not to gather EVP, and and we were going through it a little bit yesterday with the uh, with Whaling City Ghosts, the team that was with us. Correct. Stomachs rumbling. It was uh, close to dinner time. We were hungry, so always investigate on a full stomach. Oh, yeah. That's a rule of us, of ours. Kristen Gartland is is teaching the class uh, TAPS 101, and that was one of the rules that she gave us for investigating. Always make sure you go because, A, you don't want to be hungry during the investigation, and, B, don't count on the client to feed you, (laughs) especially when you're investigating a library. We've been lucky, so. Well, why don't we give some of the background information about your group before we talk about the library. Uh, We have with us the members of the group, the Pawtucket Paranormal Society. You can go to their website. Um, PawtucketParanormalSociety.org And we have uh, Chris Andrews We have Don Torres and Diane O'Connor and You guys came together in February as a group um, Yes And you said you had been doing some independent invest- investigation on your own Some. Um, actually I started out in The exact date I started was December 16th of 2006 Okay so you were really just kind of getting your feet wet and, Yeah And uh, were you doing a lot of research beforehand A lot of reading and well, I was watching Taps mm-hmm. and watching some other shows, and then the opportunity just came up to investigate, um, actually, one of our investigators' houses, and she's like, well, my daughter's having a hard time sleeping, and she couldn't figure out why. So she called me, and my father set up the interview, and I went from there. And what kind of, um, in, in the early stages there, what kind of equipment did you have to bring with you? I mean, was it real rudimentary stuff? Oh, yeah. I only had a one digital recorder, one analog recorder, and a 35-millimeter Hey, camera. You, you brought two different recorders, so that's yeah. already a step in the right direction. A lot of people wouldn't wouldn't make that step first off. And did you capture anything on that first investigation? Um, actually, um, prior to that, to the investigation, we, I actually did the interview with them. And she always said that she always had a cold feeling down at the end of the hallway. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the first pictures I took. And in the picture, you actually see two phases in the door. I tried to recreate the the experience, and the faces weren't there. So that was the first piece of evidence. And then when I went back for the investigation, that's when I caught EVPs, I mean, so many that it was like he was just wanting to talk. Mm-hmm. And basically, he liked saying the little girl's name. And he would say it repeatedly. And it was like, okay. And he t- basically told me, don't come back. Well, that's always <laughs> good to hear. As long as it's the ghost telling you that, not the client. Yeah, that's true. So the ghost that's really doesn't have any say anymore. That's true. It's not their property. It's whose name's on the deed. So, yeah. And then that led to some other investigations from there? Or? Um, actually, we had to go back several times because as... But he told you not to. Well, I had to. (laughs) I promised her that I would help out as much as I can. And when I went back, I actually brought Chris with me in um, around February. And we actually have on one of the EVPs that's on the site, one of the investigators, Jeremy, he asked, do you want us to leave? And he says no. But we figured he lied. Uh, That's when you asked him if he was uncomfortable. 
Oh, yeah. Jeremy asked if he was uncomfortable, and he said no. And these are just general open-air EVPs? Just yep. turn on the tape recorder, ask some questions, mm-hmm. see if you get a response? Just to, you know, get, like, a baseline, see, make sure everybody's voice is recognizable on the tape, everything. And Which media did you get on? Did you get on the digital, the analog? Uh, um, the digital. The digital, not the analog. Nope. Some, I mean, some people, some investigators will swear by the analog and say we have to get it on that. Yeah. Uh, some, some will say the digital is clean. There's no chance for, you know, for ta- uh, for doubling up the tape or or having you know uh, double exposure on on the tape. But yeah, you know, we were we actually cap Matt captured one uh, on analog and digital, uh, which you know when you hear it on both. In my actually, we had it on three. Uh, well, Matt's. Analog recorder and the two digitals. Two that I have. separate speed digitals. Yeah, two separate speed bitrate digitals. And oh, when cool. when I hear, but when I hear that, you know, my first instinct, uh, you know, not as an investigator, as just a person listening to evidence, yeah. I say, well, if you got it on all those recorders, it's because somebody said something out loud. Yeah. But as you get into this more and you start capturing more and, and realizing that you hear little whispers <laughs> over here and not over here, then you understand that. Well, wait a minute, you know. That's really good proof to be able to get it on more than one. Yeah. So, I mean, well, I actually everybody's going to have their own opinion about EVP anyway. Well, when I got when I first did the investigation, I actually caught him saying her name on the analog and the digital mm-hmm. at the same time. So that was the best I could do and if at it's, the time. And if it's nobody's voices that's that's with your yeah. team, then even better. Now, from there, I mean, how did you decide from going on these own investigations to actually <laughs> forming the group? Well, that was kind of difficult because I was trying to look for a group in Rhode Island, and I know there's several out there. I was going to say, you couldn't find a paranormal group in Rhode Island? <laughs> they, have, they have more paranormal groups than they have Dunkin' Donuts down there. Well, hey, Matt, yeah. is Dunkin' Donuts still a sponsor? Can I, I think so. I think, I think we, we can we say lost. Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> well, you know, the obvious thing is people say, why don't you join TOPS? And there's no way you're going to join TOPS, even though they do... Advertise they're looking for new investigators. Mm-hmm. There's no way you're going to get in. Well, yeah, they're investigators are people that have been in other groups for 10 yeah. years already. So um, I got onto another site. Can I say the name? Yeah. Um, I Am Haunted and looked up for looked up people in Rhode Island, and that's how I actually found Chris. And he, we emailed each other for maybe about a week until we decided to talk on the phone, and then from there kind of just took off. And Once you each realize that you're not nuts, yeah, you're not just some crazy person that when you actually meet, you're going to lock them in a basement. Yeah. Happens yeah. a lot in the paranormal community. Well, it was like, you know, a lot of questions like, what what's your background? What's your background? His uh, his background is more extensive. Mm-hmm. But when I told him I only did one house, he's like, oh, okay. I was like, yeah, He's thinking, geez, somebody I can me. mold in my own image. <laughs> That's what she's trying to do to me. Yes. She's my little mini-me right now. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, and that's... Uh, you want to have similar philosophies, but you do have to have some differences in your oh, approach yes. to investigation. Like, I mean, for example, if I'm going out and I'm asking questions in an EVP, I kind of follow, like, the TAPS method, the, the generalized, you know, just ask some questions, provoke if necessary. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to get direct to the point because I don't want to waste my time listening for stuff that's not r- relevant to what I'm talking about. Exactly. Matt has a different approach. Matt Moniz will actually try to engage in conversation, ask familiar questions first. Right, because when you – is like asking people that are alive questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're asking about how they died, you're asking personal 
in in-depth questions most people want to shy away from that i what do you who are you why why is a stranger asking my business that's why i ask you know what is your favorite food what is your favorite color you start off gaining trust you get exactly. you get responses okay then you get to recognize the voice then you get to you know what i'm saying you ask common questions that would be unintrusive yes you know basic you start off cordially asking you know it also works in verification if you have a suspicion about who who it might be. Yeah. You know, what is your favorite food? And well, if you get spaghetti and you ask, well, Uncle Joe used to love spaghetti. You know, you're getting oh, validating yeah. points oh, yeah. as you're going along. See, the line. now I'm um, being a sports writer by trade. I'm used to just sticking my tape recorder in people's faces and saying, <laughs> "Why'd you throw that pitch?" <laughs> you know, tell me what you were thinking when you took that shot. So, yeah. I mean, I'm asking the more direct questions. Well, I like to do. Um, Matt's method, like just open up a general conversation and then just go for the the hard questions. And I usually get the best um, yeah, the best, the best response, response from that. And and it seems like this particular spirit that's in that house, he will only respond to me. Mm -hmm. He's tried with him before. Like he actually told him some derogatory comments, but he's like. <laughs> We're not going to play those ones on the air later. <laughs> no. No, 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 we no. cut those out. But it was basically like, okay, you better stop your. And that was it. The brown word. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have a we have a question here, a caller here. Uh, we might have a question for you. So let's take that call. Good evening, you're on Spooky South Coast. How you doing? Hi guys, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. It's me, Luanne. How are you? Now I'm good. We we haven't really gotten into into last night's investigation too much yet uh, of what we did, but you were there with us uh, as, as part of Wailing City Ghosts, and uh, let's just before we even get into the library, really, let's just get your impressions of the place in terms of paranormal activity. Um. Well, I love the building. I have to say, I always have. Um, as for paranormal activity, I'm still going over the uh, evidence. <laughs> um, just that one interesting picture that I sent you on MySpace, that's the only thing that I have mm -hmm. as of now for evidence. Now, have you posted that on the message board at Spooky South Coast um, I did actually try today, and my computer was refusing. <laughs> um, and I actually have company from out of town right now, so I didn't get a chance to get back, but I will post. Um, all the pictures for you guys out there. Excellent. I, I did I, see the photo, and to me, uh, it was a little bit of a teaser. To me, it seemed like it yeah. might have been the reflection off the chair. You were using flash photography at the time? Uh, no, I wasn't using flash there. Well, that makes a that difference. Was no flash. That was the question that I had for you uh, once I found out, you know, once I saw the actual uh, photo, uh, my first thought was flash, and then I said, wait a minute, I don't remember if she was using yeah. a flash then. I very seldomly use flash. It's only if I'm in an absolutely no-light situation that I will use flash. We, we did have, uh, the way that the photograph was taken, we did have low light coming in through the basement windows behind you. Yes, we but did. Not so that, that was would... more of a low-light situation that I had there. And it wouldn't have generated the, the light. Head coming out of the wall. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but <laughs> I know we're kind of really just teasing until you can actually see the photo. But by the time this goes out to podcast, it'll be up there. So, yeah, definitely. Now, what you, you're a little bit more sensitive than I am to some of this stuff. Um, I mean, Matt could be sensitive, but he won't admit to it because he's a biker. <laughs> but uh, he, he could be sensitive too. But I, I'm not really sensitive to paranormal activity, but you seem to be. And we do have a photo up uh, on the blog of when you're in the the Rogers room trying to 
see if you could feel anything. Did you get any sense of any kind of presence? There is a little something there, um, I think, just from the way that I felt. Um, probably a male and probably a female, I think. I think there's two. Um, but not real strong. I, I couldn't, I mean, there were a few times when we were in the building where I'd kind of try, it's hard when you're on an investigation to do that kind of thing because I'm more interested in getting the scientific stuff. Exactly, yeah. Um, but you'll go and back it, there and It's a spend. little distracting to be in the building during the day. I think um, the optimal investigation time there would be when we get all the people out of the building, mm -hmm. get some quiet time. You know, it, I think it would be great to have that building just to a team, um, yeah, but it, it doesn't seem that. like that's an option for that yeah. building. At least not right now. I mean, uh, no. if there's enough interest and enough, you know, people willing to work together, maybe we can swing something, uh, you know. I'm more than willing to sign the paperwork that if anything goes wrong, it'll be my rear that's uh, on the line because, you know, we, we know the investigators involved and we trust people and it, it wouldn't be a problem. But it's going to take a lot of convincing. It's going to take uh, probably some board hearings. And uh, luckily, uh, one of my bosses at the paper is on the board of trustees, so maybe we can pull something off. Oh, that would be great. We'll, we'll see what we can do. That uh, would be great. Money also talks too. <laughs> a nice, a nice donation check to the to the Millicent Library Foundation. There you oh. go. Now you also, you also uh, yourself and, and Gabby Lawson, the other investigator from Wailing City Ghosts, were using uh, pendulums, crystal pendulums, uh, in the basement and in other spots. Were you getting responses from those? Yes, we were. I was at least. I'm. I'm going to have to confer with Gabby on how she did with hers. Um, but mine says it's the janitor. Mm -hmm. we'll, um, we'll and it also too. says that it's Rhoda Merriweather Huddleston that's uh, in there, that's and the, no Millicent. That's the really, really uh, ugly portrait. Oh, I shouldn't say that, the one but that you the room? I, I shouldn't say that, yeah. Was that the one in the middle until the end? That was the one toward the end, right? The, the grandmother, the right? Oh, yeah. The grandmother yeah. is Rhoda. And when you yeah. first approached that portrait, I, you walked closely to it, and uh, you almost had your fingers on it, and you said that you sensed great sadness. Yes, definitely. Hard work, sadness, not a lot of pleasure in life. Um, well, typical of the times, too, though. Yep, definitely. That was a woman's life back then. Your husband was your boss. You did what he said. You worked. You cooked. You ah, sewed. <laughs> you, know, you didn't have a life. <laughs> and and that was even for a wealthy woman back then. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, we hear the stories about even though they had servants, they were still down on their hands and knees scrubbing floors, too. Yep, so. definitely. All right. Well, we thank she you for checking in. had a tough life. We will, uh, we'll let you get back to your company. Oh, well, that's actually me outside at a campfire. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, tell them that uh, we said hello. Oh, I definitely will. And watch the skies. Could oh, you... watch the sky. Yeah, I'm watching for the darn black helicopter that flew over my house yesterday. <laughs> They're looking for your friend, Matt. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, they flew over my house looking at, for her. After the day they Matt... better not have x-ray vision. <laughs> after the day Matt spent with them, I'm sure he'll let the helicopters take them away. Oh, no comment. All right. Well, I'm not willing to go with them. All right. Well, thank you for checking in. <laughs> oh, anytime, guys. Have a great night. Take it easy. Night. Bye-bye. And we, we should get into some of the actual uh, 
stories going on. Why don't we take a break? On the other side, we'll jump right into the Millicent Library story. We'll talk some of the history, and we'll talk about some of the investigations that have gone on. So if you have any stories that you'd like to share about the Millicent Library or any other uh, South Coast haunt or any, any haunt maybe in your town, Give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. And remember, you can reach us anytime all week long, Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com or uh, MySpace.com slash SpookySouthCoast. We'll be right back with more. Don't look now, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this. It blew books off shelves from 20 feet away and scared the socks off some poor librarian. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. This looks extraordinarily bad. (laughs) That's why we call him the silent assassin. Give him a topic and he comes at you and stuff like that. (laughs) Great work as always, Matt. Well, tonight we are talking about the Millicent Library, one of the South Coast's most notorious haunts or non-haunts. And that's, well, wait, let's face it, this, the stories all start because the place looks very gothic. It, it, it's got that castle appearance, as many of the buildings uh, down in Fairhaven near the waterfront do. Uh, the Millicent Library was actually built because of Millicent Rogers, the daughter of Fairhaven benefactor Henry Huddleston Rogers, uh, when she passed away at the age of 17 in 1890, her grieving family sought an appropriate means of memorializing her short life, and the plan to erect in Fairhaven a unique and lavish tribute to the arts was formed. There would be raised in Millicent's name a splendid yet functional library. Land was purchased in the year of her death, and on June 6, 1891, ground was broken, and through the remaining months of 1891 and all of 1892, work on the memorial building progressed at an amazing speed. The cornerstone was laid in September 1891 at 6 o'clock on a Monday morning. Only the family and a clergyman were in attendance at these morning ceremonies. We're going to get into that a little bit later on because it kind of plays into one of the myths uh, about the Millicent Library. On the chosen site, the memorial building was built in the style of the Italian Renaissance. It rose steadily during those exciting years of 1891 to 1892. Charles Brigham, the foremost American architect of his day from the Boston firm of Brigham and Spofford, was chosen to draw the plans. He also uh, got in Norcross Brothers, the richest building firm in the country, and they were given orders to use the best of everything uh, to build this library. It was dedicated on January 30th, 1893, in two separate ceremonies. There was a private memorial service in the morning when the window was unveiled. Now, this window is a uh, magnificent stained glass window that's uh, right when you first walk in. It's called, you know, they call it Millicent's Window. We have photos of it on the blog at SpookySouthCoast.com. The... uh, and then they had another ceremony at the church uh, across the street where they dedicated it. But basically, uh, on the afternoon of the dedica- uh, dedicatory day, that June 30th, 1893, uh, that was the anniversary of Millicent's birth. The first book was taken from the library by her grandmother, Mrs. Roland Rogers, mother of Henry. That's the middle portrait if you're in the Rogers oh, okay. room. Uh, and between the hours of 9 to 10 on that same day, time was reserved at Mr. Rogers' request for townspeople who were 70 years of age or over to avail themselves the initial services of the library and to withdraw the first book. So, you know, they they really had a lot of kind intentions. They wanted to dedicate this building to her memory, and they put a lot of thought into how to best make it serve the town because prior to that, the the only library the town had was a bunch of books on a shelf in the bank. Oh. Wow. And it <laughs> really wasn't uh really wasn't uh, that 
beneficial to people. And, and Millicent always said in her life she would love to see the town have a nice library like they had at the Rogers home. Oh, yeah. So that was where the idea came from. So how that went from becoming one of the most notoriously haunted places in Fairhaven is a, is a big and interesting story. There was, you know, whenever you have a building that looks like that, you're always going to have people drive by. I bet you that place is haunted. <laughs> or people that go in there and they feel a little bit creeped out by the enormity of the building, the dome ceilings and the, the crevices and the way that the building is, is designed. And then when you have the griffins, the grotesques, and the gargoyles on the outside, that only lends to that. Well, in our modern times here of the Internet and, and today's paranormal investigation community, there's a website known as the Shadowlands.net. We talked about it. We referenced it. Uh, oh, lo- yeah. Lots of ghost hunting groups go out there when they first start. That's the first website they go to because they can look and see where the haunted places are around them. Yeah. There's a number of legitimately haunted locations listed there. One of the ones that's up there for the town of Fairhaven, Massachusetts, is the Millicent Library. And this is I'm going to give you a direct reading from the Shadowlands.net so we can get the direct idea of what they're talking about and work on it from there. The founder of Fairhaven, Henry Harrelson Rogers, had a daughter named Millicent. She died when she was barely 17 of heart failure. Rumor has it that they had her buried under the foundation before it was finished. People who visit the library sometimes see her walking the halls, outlined in bright blue light. At night, passersby both on foot and in cars have reported seeing the girl standing in the window of the turret in front. On the upper floors, many have seen a woman dressed all in black, wandering along, running her fingers along the books. No one knows who this ghostly woman could be. She often disappears too fast for anybody to get a good look. Then in the basement and vaults, the hat of Hetty Green, a stingy old woman and mother of Colonel Green, lies within the vaults of the basement, and some claim to have seen her after touching the hat. Some librarians will freely talk about the hauntings and offer information, but most will deny any accusations of paranormal activity. It's a great place to visit. Don't bother taking pictures. They usually won't develop correctly. The China Room. That's not true. (laughs) true. And and as you can see from the photos we put up on the website, uh, the China Room, which is incorrectly labeled, it's actually the Rogers Room, boasts several paintings of Henry Rogers, his mother, his grandmother, and other such relatives. Children have often said that if you speak to them, they change expressions. Uh, The emotions depend on the content. Uh, The room is always (laughs) dreadfully cold. And in the music room, what was once known as the music room, staff and patrons have also seen a man dressed in a tweed jacket and purple bow tie with small circular glasses mopping the floor in the basement. One librarian claimed that he is the ghost of a janitor who suffered a spill and broke his neck on the wet floors. He still mops relentlessly. The doors open and close by themselves, and the bathroom lights will shut off seconds after being turned on by a visitor. Footsteps can be heard on the stairwell leading to the basement. So... Those are the reports coming from the Shadowlands.net. I mean, maybe that's happened to some of you out there. Maybe you've experienced that while you've been there. Uh, give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. In the second hour, we'll play for you uh, Library Director Carolyn Longworth's uh, response to some of these claims. Uh, she, we had a chance to interview her yesterday for the show, and she kind of flat-out denied a lot of this stuff. Oh, yeah. uh, one, of the, one of the things that came up was, uh, of course, Hetty Green's hat, which yeah. has long been you know, a rumored tradition that they, they've kept her hat there, and it's been gone for many years. Yeah. Uh, she actually built a huge mansion out in Dartmouth right on the water, uh, and that is where most of her possessions ended up. So they did have it at one time kind of on loan, and it went back there like it was supposed to. 
So I doubt she's there. If she has a big sprawling mansion to haunt down on the water. <laughs> why the library? Yeah, why yeah. the library? But the, the story of the janitor is one that's really taken hold recently. Uh, in in the, the audio that we'll hear a little bit later on, uh, Carolyn has refused to name the janitor just for protection of the family. So we're going okay. we're, we're to uh, observe those wishes and, and not do so either. Uh, but you were able to find uh, some sort of, Chris, you said some sort of obituary to... Yeah. So, something that, uh, you know, correlated with the story of there being a janitor that slipped and had a fall and died. Well, it was just a standard obituary. It's, you know, you go online and you can dig them up uh, through the standard times. No so. pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's just, it's one of those things where the story happens and it just turns into something way worse. And it has to become, you know, a big, anytime anybody dies in a place the immediate rumor is going to be that they haunt it. But, <laughs> well, if, but if you listen to some of the stories that Carolyn and other people that work at the library talk about, this is a man who you know, gave a lot of his time to the community and to that library. He loved the building. He loved the work he was doing there. And so it would make sense that if he was a, a restless spirit that he would want to stay attached to that building. Uh, and Matt brought up the question as well where since he's often seen supposedly mopping the floors that it could just be a replay haunting, Basically, just playing over and over again, uh, and Matt, just real quick because we're, we're short on time. But the composition of the building itself, and we've we've talked one gigantic storage cell, yeah. And, and we've talked in the past about the the metallurgy and the the um, geology and combination between the types of materials they use, the configurations of the metal struts that line the in, interior of the building, yeah. And it's not to mention its proximity to the coast. Yeah, well, uh, essentially what you have is a giant conductor. Mm -hmm. You have steel inserts and surrounded by quartz on the outside. That's uh, that's what most conductors are. are. And so it's quite possible, in, in your opinion, that what people could be seeing, if they are seeing this, could just be a replay haunting, not, yeah, not intelligent. Or residual, as it's yeah. called by certain people, yeah. Well, residual being the preferred scientific term, but I'm trying to use the radio-friendly, give people an idea of what we're talking about. Well, basically what we'll do is we'll tell them, for people that might be unfamiliar, it's like a videotape being played over and over again. Right. Yeah. Um, it's same principle of um, crystals will store uh, memory. I mean, it's in your computer, it's in your radios. Mm -hmm. It's the same principle. You've got a big building, energy is applied to it, and eventually that energy bleeds back out. So it is possible that there is something going on, and even if the staff hasn't seen it or encountered it, other people could have. Maybe you're one of those people. Uh, give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. We're going to be taking a break for the CBS News. On the other side, we will have our new segment, The Week in Weird. Then we'll jump back into the subject of the Millicent Library with that interview with Carolyn Longworth, the director of the library, as well as our talk with Diane, Chris, and Don of the Pawtucket Paranormal Society. I got all the names right, right? Yep. Yes. <laughs> Just go to their website, PawtucketParanormalSociety.org, for more on their group and for more photos and, and backstory on the hauntings at the Millicent Library. You can go to either the org or the blog at SpookySouthCoast.com. Now, uh, next week, just as a programming note, we have uh, basically Matt Costa. You and I decided that since, I don't know, since we've been on the air now for about a year and a half, almost two years, we decided we could kind of abuse that position a little bit and yeah, a little and use the show to talk to some of our boyhood idols. Exactly. So uh, why don't you tell everybody who our guest is next week? Dare I? 
Sure. Nolan Bushnell. And who is Nolan Bushnell, for the those unfamiliar? We know because we're nerds. <laughs> Do I want to – I don't know if I want to commit myself to being a nerd. Okay. Well, in that so, case, I'll say it. I'm so right. excited. We're going to have Nolan Bushnell. He's the guy who founded video games. Atari. Uh, yeah, he did. He founded Atari. He created – created, you want to – Pong? Stole it. Okay. Well, that's 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 part of the story. We'll get into I'm that. Just with props to my boy, Ralph Bear. <laughs> we'll we'll get into it with uh, with Nolan next week, but uh, he he is the the we'll say the mass marketer of Pong, uh, which led to the creation of Atari, which led to the creation of Chuck E. Cheese Pizza Time Theater. I don't think they're a sponsor, but he created Chuck E. Cheese, and now he has a new venture uh, that is called U Wink, and it's a it's a new type of restaurant. It's like a Chuck E. Cheese for adults. So we're going to talk to him about all that. We'll talk to him about the uh, the disaster that was the E.T. Atari video game and how it uh, sunk the company. We'll talk to him about the sale of the company to Time Warner. Uh, and then we might have another guest joining us next week, something that we're working on. If not next week, definitely in the future. Uh, I, I don't want to give too much away in case it doesn't work out. but Like a power, like a power tool? Like a Is power a tool. <laughs> I was going to say we can simply just refer to him as the man. That's all we have to refer to him as, because that is his nickname. He's he's quite simply the man. And if uh, if that doesn't give you any more of a it'll, hint, it'll be marvelous. It will be marvelous. And there's only one more thing we can say uh, as we go to the CBS News. Matt, you want to take it away? What's the one word we can say? That'll be a big hint. Excelsior. Excelsior. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. when people start screaming. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. I can smell your fears. I'm not afraid. You Welcome back to Spooky South Coast, hour number two. Tim Weisberg here alongside the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. Matt, who was actually with me at the Millicent Library yesterday with Wailing City Ghosts. Uh, we, we weren't sure if you were going to make it. I made it, though. Yeah. I actually made it back from Roswell, too. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. You, you were. I thought you were going to just stay in Roswell. I didn't think you'd ever come home. 
nothing out there but tarantulas and tumbleweeds. Oh, and the UFO museum. You got a chance to uh, to investigate that. That was cool. Uh, that that was pretty wild. They found out, you know, that I was also a ghost hunter and I was doing, you know, the radio show for our fellow uh, Citadel Broadcasting Group, Beyond Reality Radio with Jason and Grant. Um, I was helping them out, you know, doing a live report for them while I was out there. It's like, oh, you you know the ghost hunter? It's like, yeah, I've known them for a while. It's like, did you know that this building is haunted? And I'm like, okay, talk to me. Keep, keep it coming. You know, I'm here to do a thing on UFOs, but, yeah, I'm, I'm always up for yeah. anything ghost. It's, it's, all, you know? it's all the paranormal, man. It's, that's it. It's like, well, apparently the UFO museum is in, in an old movie theater. Uh, the movie theater was built in the 1940s on top of a hotel that burnt down with six kids in it and a couple of adults. So uh, one of them being an old priest. Uh, it was also a house of ill repute, so to speak. As well as you know, but um, before you were there, it was the house. Yeah, be- before and after. Okay, we'll, we'll leave that as it is. But uh, uh, young, cho- couple of young children, and uh, two other adults are seen roaming the building by uh, volunteers, employees, as well as researchers that stay there in the middle of the night. You know, doing you know, looking up through the records because the place is actually is filled with all kinds of records from the event and other, uh, you know. Uh, there's a place called the Catacombs that they call it. It's, it's the upper part of the theater where they stored all of the other materials. But uh, that's where things are seen. So I got a chance to go uh, investigating up there with um, Jesse Marcel's wife and the drummer for Sonic Youth. Yeah, you're basically up there uh, poking around looking for ghosts with the guy who took Cameron's dad's car out for a joyride in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Basically, yeah. Yeah, Richard Edson. Yeah. So uh, you're going to try to get him down to Waverly with you now, now that he's... Uh... Actually, he's from Massachusetts. Uh, he frequents here quite a bit because he still has family here. Oh, so we'll definitely um, bring him to Lizzie Borden. Yeah, uh, he's very interested in checking out Lizzie. Uh, believe it or not, he's um, kind of into the paranormal himself. I mean, not severe, but he's got an interest in it, a slight interest. Well, we'll help build that interest. So, uh, and if you want to find out all about Matt's trip to Roswell, you can go to his MySpace and you can read his blog there. And it's really interesting because you kind of, you know, you took to task some of the UFO researchers that are out there. And, you know, it's definitely... Uh, uh, the old guard, the old blowhards. Yeah, you it's know. it's yeah. definitely Matt's unique take on things. And it's also, uh, we have to say, solely the express, expressed opinion solely of Matt Moniz and not those of Spooky exactly. South Coast, WBSM, Citadel Communications, or any other properties thereof. Not a problem. <laughs> just, just for the legal disclaimer. Uh, factory to dealer incentives uh, not guaranteed either. All right, so why don't we uh, get into our little new segment that we like to call The Week in Weird. Need a second, Matt? I can stretch that, too. All right, the little new segment we like to call The Week in Weird. Well, I got a great show for you today. What's a wonderful The Week in Weird. All right, well, today is that great day of 80s cheesy horror comedy film, Saturday the 14th, which means that last night was Friday the 13th, 
And of course, you, we're expecting to to open up the newspapers today to to go online to Google search and look up the news and find all kinds of weird and wacky Friday the Thirteenth happenings, but nothing. Nothing. It was really quiet for for being a Friday. Maybe, maybe if the stuff hasn't you know being a Friday night, you know uh, until the arraignments are held Monday morning, we're not really going to hear anything. But uh, as of right now, it's all quiet on the on the strange and unusual front. But I did find an interesting article from the Pueblo Chieftain which uh, I have a subscription to, some Friday the 13th lore. Here are some ways that the fear of the number 13 is demonstrated. More than 80% of high-rises lack a 13th floor. Many airports skip the 13th gate. Airplanes have no 13th aisle. Hospitals and hotels regularly have no room number 13 or floor number 13. Uh, even, you know, even if they're you know, 14-floor buildings, they'll still skip that 13. If you have 13 letters in your name, you will have the devil's luck. Jack the Ripper, Charles Manson, Jeffrey Dahmer... Theodore Bundy and Albert DeSalvo all have 13 letters in their name. Hmm. Nice stretch there. Okay. Many cities do not have a 13th Street or a 13th Avenue. In France, socialites known as Catorzians, now I have to bring my French back into it, Catorzians, or 14ers, once made themselves available as the 14th guest to keep a dinner party from an unlucky fate. And many Parachuskid decaphobes, or those who fear the unlucky integer, are known uh, I'm sorry, as they're known, point to the ill-fitted mission to the moon, Apollo 13. Again, another kind of a stretch. But uh, people want to know, you know, why is Friday the 13th unlucky? Everybody was asking it yesterday, why is it unlucky? Well, nobody really knows. There's actually a lot of different conflicting reports. The one that's become the most generally accepted is the fact that on Friday the 13th of, let me get the exact date for you, October 13th, 1307, a Friday, it was the infamous Friday the 13th that became a synonym for ill fortune as officers of King Philip IV of France carried out mass arrests in a well-coordinated dawn raid that left several thousand Knights Templars uh, locked up and in chains and, and even worse for some of them. So it was the, the basic takedown of the Knights Templar by the King of France happened on Friday the 13th. So that's why there's this lore around it. But some scholars say that's not exactly the reason why. Uh, you can go back as far as the Last Supper in which uh, there was 12 apostles there, and the 13th guest being Judas, and, of course, we all know what he did. So that kind of was unlucky, at least uh, for Jesus. And then another uh, another theory is that uh, the Hindus will not uh, have 13 people in a room. That's supposed to be bad luck, so, I mean, that goes back far just as well. Uh, Scandinavians believe 13 signified bad luck because of their 13th mythological Loki, was an evil one who brought great misfortune upon humans. So uh, many say that the number 13 has been purposely vilified by priests of patriarchal religions because it represented femininity. 13 corresponded to the number of lunar or menstrual cycles in a year. And the number was revered in prehistoric goddess-worshipping cultures. So uh, definitely a lot of reasons why it's unlucky, but I couldn't find anybody that had an unlucky Friday the 13th, except for this one guy. And this comes from GMANews.TV uh, out in the Philippines. The misfortunes of Friday the 13th caught up with a man who was pinned to death by a passenger jeep while he was urinating near a wall in Benagogan Rizal Friday night. Radio DZRH reported Saturday morning that the victim, whom police initially identified as Roel Abenakis, died before doctors at Biganum Memorial Hospital could attend to him. Sketchy initial reports showed jeep driver Rolando Corona was arrested shortly after the incident, which took place at about 9 o'clock. Investigators said Corona claimed he did not know someone was near the Jeep's parking place when he backed the vehicle into the wall. Corona said he became aware that something was wrong only after he heard a, quote, sickening thud. 
Police are preparing charges of reckless imprudence resulting to homicide against Corona. So there's one guy who Friday the 13th was unlucky for. Uh, and maybe before that, Jeep backed into him. A black cat crossed his path or something. Who knows? But uh, Matt Costa, you have a story for us about somebody who had a not-so-unlucky Friday the 13th. Yep, she kind of had the opposite effect of the Friday the 13th. A Saturday the 14th? Almost. Okay. But this uh, Delaware woman's penny won her the mega jackpot, jackpot on a penny slot machine. Yesterday at Dover Downs in Delaware, uh, a woman simply known as Ingrid was playing the penny slot machine called the King of Pharaohs when she became the Queen of the Slots. Not... The other. That's good. That's good reading. <laughs> the uh, grandmother of the three <laughs> and great-grandmother of one had never played the game before, but won the big prize. All of a sudden, the picture displayed, and it said you won $318,000 and all hell breaks loose. At first, Ingrid thought it was Did a mistake. Did it say on the sign? It said all hell breaks loose it on did. the sign? I guess. Okay. All right. So it says rotors. At first, Ingrid... Th- Ingrid thought it was a mistake, and she quickly, quickly quickly realized she hit the jackpot in the multi-state game called Cashola. Ingrid had been in the casino a couple of hours and was about to call it a day when she decided to give the machine a try because she liked the name. She and her husband retired in Dover over five years ago, and she plans to pay off some bills with her winnings and take some trips. Maybe take her to the river? Maybe. Well, that's, uh, that's pretty lucky Friday the 13th, yeah. I'd have to say. Off a penny? A penny. I thought those were a waste of money. I thought I did well when I won 50 bucks off a nickel. So, I don't know. 300 and something thousand dollars off a penny. Talk about a return on your investment. Now, Matt Moniz, one thing that we don't usually do here in the Week in Weird segment is read press releases. I mean, if we have press releases to read, we usually do it you know, prior to the Week in Weird because the press releases aren't necessarily always news. They're sometimes really just you know free advertising. And in this case... Uh, this is a press release that I thought was really, really interesting because it's so newsworthy in what's being done. Yeah, it is pretty uh, interesting. Uh, this comes from footnote.com, and it talks about exposing uh, government UFO records. Uh, from Linden, Utah, July 12, uh, 2007, sorry. This, today, footnote.com announced that they have been digitizing the entire Project Blue Book uh, reports the entire collection of official records covering the United States government's investigation of the UFO phenomenon from 1947 to 1969. From Alaska to Florida, Project Blue Book features fascinating accounts of UFO sightings from every state. Now, for the first time, the entire collection of the cases is available on the Internet by uh, footnote.com for free. This collection provides a a rarely seen view into the subject that was captured that captured the attention and imagination of millions over decades. But Project Blue Book also allows users to determine for themselves if UFO phenomena is all a conspiracy theory, hallucinations, or solid evidence supporting the facts that we are not alone in the universe. Now my own personal commentary to what they're talking about here. They're talking about all of Project Blue Book's records. Now, what the public has been shown is what the ones that they deemed not uh, of national security um, significance. A lot of these materials now are now past national security issues. Uh, we're talking the reports from fighter pilots, from military personnel, police. You know, we're close. You know, 
these are the reports that were kept out away from the public. So they and weren't in that little book I found at the yard sale. And no, okay. no, a lot a lot of these are you know, the blue book took tens of thousands of reports. Now, footnote.com is a website that a new startup company that started uh, I think in June. And what their goal is, is they're trying to put as many archive documents online as they can. And they're going to charge people to be able to go and access these documents. Uh, you know, it's like making the Library of Congress available to you for a fee. Uh, but this is one of the things that they want to keep free. Right. Because of the interest that it's going to get and, and the level of information that's out there. Uh, I, You know, being a researcher on the subject, I've had the fortune of meeting other researchers that have had the mm-hmm. full reports. And a lot of these reports... You know, when the report was, the original report that was released to the public was put out, they, they left it as indeterminate. They, and it specifies so many cases, uh, looking at so many cases. But if you look at the number, there's a whole bunch of cases that were redacted, in other words, not included. Those were nation- of, removed for national security reasons. And those are the cream of the crop, the ones that really show what, you know, what's going on. Now, these are these reports will be available to the public. And, and what's interesting, I, I had a chance to check out some of them earlier. What's interesting about this is these aren't just, you know, a website where somebody writes out all these things and makes it available. No, these are the actual documents. Photographs of the actual documents so you can look through, see the seals, see the signatures, and, and verify that they weren't just something that somebody typed up and said, look, somebody admitted that this happened, and I just typed it into the Internet for you. Right. So that helps lend some of the credibility. Uh, and if you want to check it out, just go to footnote.com and uh, check it out. And if you pour through all the documents, well, then <laughs> you come back and let us know what you find. But it's going to take us quite a while to get through them all. Uh, but it won't take us quite a while to get back. We'll be back in just a brief minute and a half with more on the Millicent Library, haunted or not. We'll take your calls right here on Spooky South Coast. Lost civilizations, extraterrestrials, myths and monsters, missing persons, magic and witchcraft, unexplained phenomena. For 58 years, Fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate is a factual magazine containing articles by experts in all walks of life and by others just like you who have had something dynamic, significant, and truthful to say. Keep up with the latest on all aspects of the paranormal. Angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To subscribe, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast, and we are talking about the Millicent Library, located right here in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. Is it haunted? Is it not haunted? We have with us the Pawtucket Paranormal Society. They actually went and did an investigation last week, a, a real one, not like the poking around one that we had to do yesterday, basically because, you know, there was so much business going on and we were so annoying to a lot of the patrons because we were, we're loud. Oh, so are we, so. 
Well, all right, so you're allowed to. So, But uh, what we will do now is we'll play for you our interview uh, that we conducted yesterday, myself, Matt Moniz, and uh, Gabby and Luann of Wailing City Ghosts, with Carolyn Longworth, the director of the Millicent Library. And she's worked there for a number of years, uh, about 30 years, so she would know if there was anything going on, and she'll share that with you. So uh, we will play this for you. When we come back, we'll talk about some of the claims, some of the evidence that's been found there, and we'll take your calls. So enjoy this discussion with Carolyn Longworth. Now, officially, how many groups have been in here to investigate the claims that, that, I know of? Of? that you know of? Uh, um, only a couple so far. Some people have wanted to come in, but after hours and, you know, it wasn't convenient. Ideally, those are the... the conditions that you want for an investigation right. so you don't get any false positives. Right. But and I know the other group um, kept picking up, they wanted to look in the vault and you know, the, whatever that gadget they had was making a lot of noise because of all the um, dehumidifier and the, the lights and all that. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that can be used to um, take readings of what people think might be paranormal activity, right. but unfortunately they all go off when the lights are on and when people's cell phones are on and everything else. Right, sure. Uh, you've been here for how long? I started working here in July of 1977. So in, in all that time, have you had any type of paranormal active, uh, experience here? I have here? not. No. And I know you've said to me in the past that you don't, you don't uh, dismiss the possibility. Right. Right, I don't. My mind is open. There was one employee who, uh, whose sister used to come in. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was a, had psychic ability. And oh yeah, that's true. I guess I guess she did too. Yeah, they said well, she the said she had never felt anything, whereas her sister said, "Oh yeah, I have felt something." So. And she told me she kept coming back here because there was some sort of presence that she right. made a connection with. Right. Now a lot of people say that there's the stories that are on the the internet websites, and I know we talked in the past about how that kind of creates this urban legend right, around the sure. place. And one of the stories is that the, the body of Millicent Rogers is in the foundation. Right. And that's not true? No. No, if you go to Riverside Cemetery, the, they leave the little door open to the mausoleum, Rogers Mausoleum. Mm -hmm. You can look in. Well, you can't see the body, obviously. But you can see where the names are listed of the people who are buried there. Do you think because she died so young, that's what's kind of led into some it of the speculation? Be. Right. Right. I think so. And another Do story. Why she, I'm sorry. Do we know why she died? She, yeah, she, I guess she had always been very sickly, and uh, she had a weak heart, and she used to stay home and read a lot. So then when she passed away, they decided a library would be a good memorial to her. And supposedly she had said to her father, you know, Fairhaven doesn't have, all the kids at Fairhaven don't have the same opportunity that I have to read. So. And she was actually buried long before the foundation was laid, right? Was right, yeah, yeah. I can't remember the exact year, but uh, but the library, the, the building of the library only started after she was long gone. And another report, and it's one that's kind of taken hold in a lot of the stories lately, is the, the custodian that passed away. Right. Is there any names? Is there any, you know, is there any circumstances known around that story? Or? Um, to tell you the truth, I'd rather not mention the name because the relatives might get mad at me. <laughs> okay, but you are you are aware of who Oh, yeah, is. sure. Oh, yeah, I was here. So, so what year that was? Uh, I can't remember. It was it was after 1985, though, but probably shortly after. And he just died of a heart attack while he was working? Right, that? right. I guess he had just come in and he had just taken off his coat and 
before he would he could disable the alarm even he had dropped because the alarms were all ringing when we got here so this uh, custodian he used to uh, be very involved in the community and he used to have a lot of costumes and he used to go on parades and do children's programs and one of the ones that we really loved was the bumblebee and everywhere we went that day the day of his funeral there were bumblebees everywhere so i know that it must have been in the summertime that it happened and he was somebody that the staff knew very well oh, he'd sure, been around for a long time for a long long time yeah. So he would have, I mean, just pure speculation here, but he would have reason to want to stay here. Right, right. If he he did would have, have an emotional attachment mm -hmm. to it because he wasn't married, so, you know, neither am I, but <laughs> I don't know if I would want to haunt the building, but it's not exactly haunting either because the people, people who have sensed it have not said that it was somebody who was antagonistic. Mm -hmm. So it could be that, you know, some kind of energy. Would you describe it as somebody just going about a routine? It could be. That could be. Uh, the only thing that I've heard that when the people had started reporting this was that that there was there was something in the basement area, and uh, you know they they just felt that there was a presence there. One person had said that the person was unhappy and wanted to leave, and we should burn frankincense in the building. So. Which you didn't do. Of course we did. You did. <laughs> So no one's yep. actually seen him then? Because I, I have a description here, man with a tweed jacket. Really? No, Small no. round glasses. Does that even sound no. like him? No. Where, where, where did that report come from? That's out of, I believe, one of the Standard Times. But the, Reference, you know, referencing, so referencing the shadow line, probably, yeah. Really. Yeah, that's somebody supposed that's, to be That's the legend that, that's kind of popped and up. And there are a lot of things that the kids make up in the schools, kind of. Mm -hmm. And they'll come in and they'll all the giggling and they'll, yeah, the gargoyle and things like that. Yeah. Well, that's that's a whole other story. Is he still there? Or oh, yeah. He's not going anywhere. He's too heavy. <laughs> and uh, that, that's one of the things we talked about before is all the, the griffins and the grotesques that are right. on the building and right. that kind of lends to the idea that it's haunted, but that's really just part of the style of architecture. Right. But right. It's that Romanesque kind of uh, uh, the, medieval architecture. The name of the gentleman again that, that designed the building? Uh, Charles Brigham. And this was typical of his uh, of his right. designs? And, right. Sure. And what's, what's the story exactly around this one again? Um, years ago when we had a restoration done on the outside of the building, if you go outside you'll see there are several of these figures. But I think there are always there have always been stories because well, I know people come yeah. in and they say, Oh, when I was a kid we used to say if you go in the stacks at, at eight o'clock and you turn around three times and uh, you know, then, then you'll see somebody or you know Lots of folklore and yeah. And you've been here, I assume, numerous times at night in the oh, dark. Sure. I'm the only one here. Sure. When the alarms have gone off, I've been out here in the middle of the night all by myself and I've never sensed anything. Or, what, what kind of proof would somebody have to come back to convince you and your staff that there is a haunting here? Hmm, gee, I don't know. <laughs> what kind of things do people have to do to prove that there is a Well, there's a number of different things that are indications. Uh -huh. Scientific proof, anybody that comes in here with that, I mean, that's still not going to be enough to convince right. some of these skeptics. I think it's going to take a personal experience on their part. Because right. I talked to some of the staff last time I was here, and a lot of them were very you know, ardent against the idea of any kind of haunting. It, yeah. Is it an annoyance to the daily operations of the library? No, I don't, I don't think so. And uh, uh, going back to what you originally were talking about, 
just the fact that we did go and buy frankincense. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. we figured what's the... And I know, like, there's another staff member who's been here in the middle of the night, too. She's in charge of the building and, you know, totally dismisses, no, I've never heard anything, never felt anything or anything like that. But even she has had at her, when she lived in a 200-year-old farmhouse, experienced things that, I mean, we were surprised to hear her say this because she's very skeptical. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that she thinks that there was some kind of presence there at the farmhouse. So, you know, in a way, she was open to that, maybe because it was her home. Well, that just means she experienced up there, not so here. Right. I've been right. in okay. plenty of other haunted places and, and you don't, not encountered anything. And, and other people have. Right. But now, being the director of the library, does it hurt or help to have that type of reputation around the around the facility? Well, there's kind of like a, a double uh, um, opinion on this because some of the staff members are like, oh, you know, that's all below me, you know. But to me, I mean, it's almost like a tourist attraction in a way. And, and because it's nothing malevolent, it's something that's kind of interesting and it might, it might be true, who knows, mm -hmm. then uh, I think it's okay. I think it's a good thing. And, of course, she said the key words there might be true, and that's something that we're still trying to determine. Uh, you guys said you're still trying to go over a lot of your evidence uh, from what went on? Um, from as far as photography is concerned, we got a lot of orbs, which doesn't mean much. Mm -hmm. um, but we're still cleaning up a lot of the audio because there are several little pieces from downstairs in the auditorium and in the surrounding area where there could be EVPs. So. I, but how do you make the determination whether it's EVP or somebody upstairs talking or, or somebody in another room talking? or? Well, voice recognition mm -hmm. on our software and things like that. And the fact that I know the person that was with me, he was standing two feet from me. And he was speaking, and he's very loud, boisterous. So <laughs> I can hear that it was him. And this was more of a whisper. And it was telling me that the door was locked. And I don't think that would be coming from upstairs. So. And uh, Diane, you say you're the skeptic of the group. That's that's your role, or that's yes. your approach. Yes, it is. And, and uh, don't worry about it. It's just a haunted microphone. <laughs> and so the uh, the going into the a place like the Milson Library and looking at the architecture, looking at the style, can you just, you know, with a skeptical mind, say, oh, gee, no wonder people think it's haunted. Well, it's a gorgeous building. It's absolutely beautiful from the outside. The inside, it's it's kind of small. I, I'm looking for something, and I I didn't find anything there. Mm -hmm. um, no matter what it is, I mean, looking on the on the uh, the video, there's nothing there. Maybe they can see something that I can't, but um, I didn't feel anything either. It, was there ever a, a point where something even drew your interest at all like you said hey wait a minute let's go back and check that because we had we had the, one moment like that the eerie basement but it was just eerie in the tower well the tower the tower that's in the beginning that we went all the way up to the top in that yeah. was pretty eerie as well but i didn't sense anything other than it was just a creepy place i mean you get the walking around the tower it's like that same type of feeling you get walking up into an attic you know, it's like the same type of stuff. And the basement downstairs, I noticed, because you're upstairs and they have the air conditioning running. When you go downstairs and it's not, and it's not as, as climate controlled as upstairs, musty. and you get that very, like, pressing, pushing on you kind of feeling. And so I noted that when I went down there that I felt that way, probably because I thought I was having a heart attack from all the stairs coming down <laughs> from the tower. But uh, it's, I mean, it, you you can feel 
certain areas of that place where it does feel a little bit like the environment is what's affecting your judgment. You know, like going up to the tower and knowing that you're going up a winding staircase and going into a musty room. and The mind can play tricks on you for sure. Exactly. <laughs> One of the reports is, and, and this is from the, from the Shadowlands too, is they talk about how uh, in the, what they call here the China Room, what they mean the Rogers Room, it says that the room is always dreadfully cold. Well, that's because they have to keep it so cold because of the things that they have stored in there. Yeah. Uh, there's a sign on the door that says, you know, air conditioning is running in this room. Please keep the door closed. And we actually were messing around with the, the door a little bit. We, we It's the only place in, in the whole building where when it's open, you can go lights out. So we closed the door, shut the lights off, and we had the door open slightly, and it would open and close on its own. So then I went over there and said, well, then open the door then. And it opened. So that was enough for us to decide, hey, maybe we should try to debunk this. And Matt went on one side, and the rest of us were on the other side. And it took a few seconds, but Matt figured out. Yeah, because I could hear him asking questions, and I, I'd hear him say, open the door or close the door. And I'm watching the door open and close. And the timing between his questions and the answer and the reply was pretty consistent. So I'm looking around. It's like, okay, is there anything going on and off here that, that would do that. And I turned, and there's an oscillating fan on the wall. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. so the oscillating fan would, I mean? would create pre- pressure, and yeah. then then a negative pressure would blow down the other hallway. Oh, yeah. So as it blew down it's the other hallway, the suction would open right. the door, and when, it, when the fan came back to the direction of the door, <laughs> the door would shut. Now, another one of the reports is that, uh, and we talked about it earlier, and, and Carolyn addressed it in the interview, was the idea of whether or not Millicent Rogers' body could be buried in the foundation. That's the story. It seems kind of uh, just kind of morose. It seems kind of strange that they would do that. Uh, but then again, you know, Henry Rogers was good friends with Mark Twain, who was kind of an eccentric character himself. Mm-hmm. So maybe uh, there was a bit of eccentricity in the Rogers family as well. Oh, yeah. It, it's, <laughs> it's, it's possible. It's possible that it could have happened. I mean, looking at the burial practices back then if she had died in you know 1890 late 1890 and they could have kept her in the vault until june of 1891 it's possible but is it plausible is it a reason why you know somebody would somebody do that because they're building this that hey let's throw her body in the foundation it just doesn't make any sense you'd want to keep her in the in the mausoleum with the rest of the family where you would be going Uh, but that i keep going back to that 6 a.m memorial service with just the family and the clergy present you know, that's enough to create that kind of speculation and doubt. Well, one of the things back back then is most people don't realize they didn't really have embalming like what we have today. In a lot of cases, they would leave the body in state inside the crypt or a tomb and then remove the bones that was left and put them in what was known as an ossuary. An ossuary is a small box or uh, that they would put the bones in, and then the bones would then but later re reinterred. Even by you, the 1890s? Yeah. Wow. And in some cases, there's still is, that practice is still done today well, in Europe. And it, it probably took a while, too, even once embalming did become popular for, I mean, become available for it to become accepted. Well, like I said, they still do that in Europe. They, they leave them in a uh, crypt or a, a tomb for a certain amount of time, and then the bones are removed, and the skeleton is put into a smaller box that takes up less space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when you're it's, it's in that mausoleum, every, if you go and right. check it out oh, yeah, in, in, in the cemetery, mm-hmm. did any anything going on around there? Any? Um, Actually, I didn't feel anything while I was there. I don't think Di did either. I don't know. Did you? No, the, not at the library. Well, the... Uh, it, 
sorry. It, I, I went there uh, follow, for the story that I wrote, and they do leave it ajar so you can see inside. Yeah. So I can understand if people wanted to go down there and, and check for themselves. But, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like you're going to get a whole lot of uh, correlation with the story anyway just by looking into the box. Uh, but people who have work there, I, I spoke to, uh, for my story, I actually talked to Peter Reed, the superintendent of the cemetery, and he confirmed that she is at the Riverside. She's in the Rogers family mausoleum with the rest of the family. So, I mean, that's coming from the superintendent of the cemetery. So, there, I doubt there's some big vast cover up even today to <laughs> to keep this. So, I think we can pretty much uh, put Millicent's body to rest in Riverside with the rest of the family. Well, that's the name of one of the articles on the website. Millicent has left the building. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, she was actually never in it. So. But the everybody will continue to go back to the story of the janitor because oh, yeah. that's the thing that people have claimed to have seen. That's the story that's been out there. True or not, that's what's taken hold as the legend of the library. Uh, what kind of evidence do you think in future investigations, especially if somebody can get in there when the building is closed, what are some of the things that you would hope to find uh, to prove that? I mean, uh, are you going to see... You know, any kind of, other than having a visual or, or an auditory clue, I mean, what else can you hope to gather? I, I don't know. I think it would be kind of hard because, first of all, you'd have to get permission to get in there after they close. Um, other than maybe a fantastic EVP saying, hi, I am the janitor, yeah, or I a mean, full body apparition. I don't think you're going to catch much because there's a lot of banging and things going on there, so it's kind of hard. What would be the equipment you would like to take with you if this was allowed for you? Oh, um, oh, thermal imaging would be good if we have, if we can get it. And I don't know, what else would you want to bring? Basically, that would anything that would night vision. Just yeah, probably the night vision cameras and things like that. It it just seems like whatever's there is because it's so you know benevolent. Because if it is the janitor and he and he's happy to be there. It's not going to be overt activity, you know. Yeah. It's it's going to be something that's likely, you know, in response to what you're doing, what you're asking, what you're looking for. Well, it's like at one point we actually did some questioning, which we do on all our investigations, and it was actually just the three females downstairs in the. It was on the divide between the new section and the old section, mm -hmm. and I usually do the talking because. I'm just the one that's chosen to do it, and usually I get answers. But what ended up happening was um, Di was to my right. Um, Ashley was directly in front of me. And during the questioning, I closed my eyes, so I can't see what's going on around me. But Di actually get some, did get some temperature readings where on my right side it was 83, I believe, and on the left side it was about 70. And at the same time, I would get like a sharp pain in my shoulder. And I normally don't get that. Mm -hmm. And every time I mention the janitor, that's when the pain and the name coincided. So it was like, okay, maybe. But yeah. that could have just been my mind playing tricks on me or anything like that. Well, so. and as Loann said earlier in the show when she called in, she was using the crystal to ask questions. And the response she got was uh, basically saying that it, it was the janitor. Yeah. Now, if you're this gentleman's family and you're hearing these stories and, you know, it's, it's not going to be hard to figure out that it's your family member they're talking yeah. about, I mean, what would uh, wh what would you expect their reaction to be knowing that basically there's this legend growing around the library based on their father, grandfather, uncle, brother? 
probably shocked, thinking, why would he, you know, reside there when he should be in peace? Mm-hmm. He must. He's attached to the building for some reason, and he spent a lot of years there, so that's an easy answer. He was happy there, and from what Carolyn told us, when his funeral came around, it was like he had a parade yeah. following him, and there was a bunch of bees or people in bee costumes because he was such a beloved figure in Fairhaven that they these people took the time out of their day to pay respect to this man who's worked there for so long. But also, it's it was a tragic death. It was oh, an yeah. untimely death, and, and there was a tragedy, so that might be part of the reason why, if he is there, he's stuck there. Oh, yeah. So uh, it might be too early in your investigative process to make a determination, but I'm just going to ask you guys. I'll, I'll go down the line. Chris, Milson Library haunted, not haunted? Oh, it's haunted. You think so? And based on? Well, based on our preliminary EVPs, I mean, we have some that there is one that says the word why. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a male voice, but that's the only one we've caught in so far. Don, your opinion? Um, I would say it's haunted, but not to the extent that people think it is. I don't. I think it is the janitor, but to we have to go through all the evidence mm-hmm. and all the EVPs first, and then make it's, a determination. It, it seemed like he was really just making yeah. contact because you were trying to make contact. Yeah. Not like he's walking around banging on pipes saying, "Look at me." No. <laughs> all right, skeptical Diane. What do you think? Well, being a skeptic and knowing there's lots of lots of me out there, I need to see more, hear more, and, and feel more in order to make a determination. And we need to get in there when there's nobody else there. Oh, in yeah. place. Yes, <laughs> yes, that would work. That's also part of it. But we got good confirmation from Carolyn. We'll probably be the last team ever in there, so. <laughs> Second to last, because she let us sneak in, so. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, why don't we take our final break of the night. When we come back, we'll talk about another one of your investigations you went on, and, and we'll play some of the EVP samples that oh, you brought yay. for us. <laughs> All right, so uh, if you want to find out more about the Millicent That's Library, you can just go to the blog at SpookySouthCoast.com. You'll find links there, photos, uh, more information. We'll get these guys to, to share links to the EVPs when they put them up on their website as well. But you can go to their site, the PawtucketParanormalSociety.org. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, having a conversation during the commercial break, setting up some uh, some great EVPs we have to play for you. We are with the Pawtucket Paranormal Society. You can go to their website, PawtucketParanormalSociety.org. And they did the investigation of the Millicent Library um, a little over a week ago that ran in the Standard Times. Uh, I'm going to mention the Standard Times. I'll get a little bump in my paycheck for doing so. <laughs> But you guys also went on another investigation recently where you captured some EVP evidence. Tell us about that investigation, where you went, and what the activity is reported there. Um, actually, we went to Hanton City, and that's in between Smithfield and North Smithfield in Rhode Island. And basically, it was founded by a group of colonists that were actually granted land by um, the King of England before the um, Revolution. 
And what ended up happening, before the revolution started, a lot of the colonists were driven out because they were supporters of mm -hmm. the king and his war. So they fled to Vermont. But the last known people to actually live there were a brother and sister in 1889. And basically it's just an, ab an abandoned city. And there's a stone wall that runs through the entire city. But the entire city is so large they can't cover the whole thing in one day. Mm -hmm. You have to make numerous trips back. And, and this is now protected as a historical site? No, it's not. Really? It's not, no. It's actually owned by a corporation. It's owned by um, uh, Fidelity Corporation. Fidelity, yeah. Built, hmm. uh, bought the land and built their big company, and now it's uh, no trespassing in some of the spots. Wow. Yeah. So, but you were able to at least get in, and, and this is by legal methods, I, I hope, that you yes. made it in. Okay. Yes. <laughs> we, well, we, the main road that leads in... <laughs> Is public land. Okay. So that's where we stayed. Because we here at Spooky South Coast do not condone breaking and entering and sneaking around and doing investigation. Always get permission. No okay. trespassing. Yeah, no trespassing. Unless you have to break into TAP's headquarters because they didn't give the new key. That's yeah, a different key. story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, wh okay, well, why don't we play these, and then what we'll do is we'll play them, and you can tell everybody what you heard being said, and then we'll play it again. This is where we were when we were like, "Yeah, hey, get out!" Uh, you, this one is one that when we did, it was the it was like the investigation with uh, me, Diane, and Dawn. We had gone there during the day, and that one says, "Go back." When uh, we were just walking through the woods, just that little bit of a whisper at the beginning, I heard. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. I right, want to play that one more time. Matt. See, this is where we were when we were like, hey, get out! <laughs> that's, that's you, I assume? Yes, I hate that's ants. I'm sorry for all those ant lovers out there. I just hate ants. And these you things were nice. biting my toes and everything. It was like... So so was, there, there's still a colony there? Yes, there's a there's not, tons of colonies. Not the kind, that, not the kind you wanted to find. That's probably why they left there. That's, oh. I say that later on. Like this. Maybe they were driven out by the ants. <laughs> so. All right, well, we move on to the next clip. That was real quick. Oh, I think that's the one that says in the weeds because um, she asked if there was poison. I ivy. was a I was asking if there was poison ivy because you know nobody wants to get poison ivy and exactly right after I say that it says in the weeds. Okay, one more so. time now. Or maybe it was the other one. I'm not sure. I think I cut that one a little too short. <laughs> I think you did. All right, well, why don't we just play the next one, Matt? An ivy. An ivy. I just burned them. <laughs> All right, well, moving on. There you go. That's the one, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was pretty clear. Why don't we play that one more time? <laughs> In the weeds. In the weeds, or look at the weeds, or yeah, because um, actually there's a fork in the road where we were actually standing, 
and it's a little further down where we actually kind of went up on the, the hill and there's actually an old cellar hole there. And that's where I said, is there any poison ivy? And that's what we caught in the weeds. Now, were you asking the, the spirits if there was, or were you asking no, everybody no. else with you? I was asking him because yeah. I had never really seen poison ivy. And well, me being who I am, I don't like bugs. I don't like poison ivy. Any poison ivy. And ants. And ants, yes. yeah. It, hel- it helps to so get uh, some assistance from the other side. All right, Matt, why don't we uh, play the next clip? Could hear something at the end there. I could hear that. I didn't know what it was though. I think that's the one that says the ruins or it's ruined. Play it one more time. The ruins. The ruins. The ruins. Yeah. What's that in reference to? Just the the ruins. well, the we think buildings. it's because we're close to the cellar hole, but we couldn't find it. So I think he was trying to guide us in the right direction. Well, just so, shortly before that clip, um, Dawn had asked me, and she's like, what did you find down there? Because I was, like, way in the back of the woods. Um, I said I was yelling to her, I don't know, and that comes shortly thereafter of that statement. And, and does it seem like it was all these EVPs that you caught, like it's trying to just guide you around, trying to help you? Well, earlier in the – when we first got there, um, we went down the path. He went his way, and then we kind of <laughs> – just kept on going, die and I, and I just set out, if you can lead us in the right direction, I would really appreciate it, because I don't want to be stuck out here, and. Now, did you bring anything else with you other than just your digital recorders? Did you take photographs, video? We cameras. Yeah, we, we took a, a lot of. Uh, we took a lot of photos, and there's, um, well, somebody told me, because um, I put my camera on night. And what ended up happening is um, there's, like, a blur to it. So they said that's not credible. So I was like, okay. And uh, then... Was, was this during the evening that you were going or daylight? It, we went between 4 and 6. It was a very hot, awful, muggy day. Okay, yeah. why would you turn night vision on during the day? Well, because we had gone <laughs> one day prior, and some of the photos from that experience actually had um the shadow like um what what's the word i'm looking for the one with carol in it it was double exposed it said it was double exposed but it was a digital camera (laughs) so i couldn't explain it yeah kind of hard to double expose the digital yeah yeah. (laughs) it was like it was it was blurred like i don't know yeah well that can happen in digital depending upon you know the rate at which it you know records Oh, well, what we'll do is uh, we'll we'll keep these out there for people to listen to. They're, they'll be in the podcast, so people can listen to them for themselves and, and see. Uh, we're running short on time, but they can get the rest of the EVPs off your website. You guys post them all up on there? Or? Um, as far as I know, no, none of them are up there yet because we're still compiling all the evidence from that. You're going to put, like, one case file up? One, We're putting one big, huge case file up. Right, that well, way people can listen. Let us know, and we'll make sure everybody knows to go and check it out. And, cool. And, same thing with all the stuff from the Millicent Library, and uh, we'll sync up your evidence or non-evidence with the stuff that we got as well, and cool. we'll make it one, one big, nice uh, file for everybody. All right, so next week we will return with our guest, Nolan Bushnell, the godfather of video games. He is the founder of Atari, the, uh, the inventor of Chuck E. Cheese Pizza Time Theater. We'll talk to him about all that and his new project, You Wink, which you know sounds like it's going to be fun. 
Even if it's just people sitting around winking at each other. But it's like an adult <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese, so that should be pretty fun. And uh, maybe even another surprise guest as well. Uh, please, all week long, if you have any paranormal experiences you want to report, anything that's happened to you at the Millicent Library or any of these places we talked about tonight, just get in touch with us, Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com or on MySpace at MySpace.com slash SpookySouthCoast. So for the Pawtucket Paranormal Society, for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. I know the supernatural is something that is...